0: Story County, the Mustang still runs free. The eagle soars above the pinion pines. And we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver. don't you break' em. Don't you let the killers take a single one. Let em run. Hi, welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm your host, Joe Jones, Vale Oregon's resident Redneck, and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, Please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. This week, I have the pleasure of visiting with Mr. Al Dunning, one of the most respected horsemen in the industry. Al has received multiple honors, including the American Quarter Horse Association's Professional Horseman of the Year in 1996, the NCHA's Zane Schulte Trainer of the Year Award in 2003, Monty Roberts' Equitarian Award in 2004, Western Horseman Magazine's Western Horseman Award in 2017. Al is an Equistat Elite Million Dollar Winner and an NCHA Million Dollar Rider. He was inducted into the Arizona Quarter Horse Association's Hall of Fame in 2016. In addition, he trained and showed the great buckskin performance horse Expensive Hobby, who was inducted into the AQHA Hall of Fame in 2007 and the Arizona Quarter Horse Association Hall of Fame in 2016. Al and his students have garnered 48 world and reserve world titles in NCHA, AQHA, NRCHA, and NRHA competition. Well, Mr. Al Dunning, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy riding schedule to visit with me this afternoon. How are things in Scottsdale, Arizona?
1: Beautiful day. You know, right now you cannot have better weather than we're having here in Arizona. Like it starts out cool. I have a jacket and a vest on, and by eight o'clock or seven thirty, right in there, I take my jacket off and shoot. By nine o'clock, I take the vest off, and man, that is just perfect. That's that's what we call horse training weather.
0: Well, it, it certainly must certainly must be because outside of Weatherford, Texas, I think uh, the who's who in the horse training world um, does business in your area. Um, Well, Mr. Dunning, I I know, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of note, noteworthy horse trainers have successful businesses, and and their clients know them pretty well. But the rest of us, it's it's hard in your busy schedule to to open up and share, you know, kind of where you came from. And, and so, one of the things I, I know we all are interested in is is a little bit about Al Dunning personally. Um, your family life? Where did you grow up? Were you raised with horses?
1: So, you know, I was born in Chicago um, in 1950. Uh, 1958, we moved to Arizona and I had rheumatic fever. And, uh, you know, it was kind of basically for my health. And, you know, I moved out here uh, back there in Chicago. My sisters rode on the bridle paths and I got to ride English a little bit, you know, around the horses a little bit. But when we moved to Arizona, we turned Western and my sisters, two of them, two of the three older sisters got really involved in horses. Um, And I'd sort of played on the haystack, you know, so I'd hang out there. Well. It wasn't too long after that, I kind of got around some guys that I liked a lot. And we all started kind of roping the dummy and doing stuff. And then I got around some real iconic horse trainers and I was real lucky to get to uh, have a relationship with one of them personally that was like my father. And uh, anyway, I was by that time, I was 11 or 12 right in there. And and I started riding horses full time. <clears throat> you know, every day after school, basically. And, uh, it wasn't long before, you know, I had got around that. I, uh, started showing and, um, kind of got lucky right off the bat, started winning. So I had a somewhat of a knack for it, I guess you'd say. And that has continued on to, I became a professional in 1970 and, um, I've been in just about every facet of the horse business you can imagine. So so there
0: was never ever really
1: a question
0: in your mind from, from childhood that you were going to make a life uh, by uh, working with horses. Is that, is that.
1: Well, fair? you know, I, I tell you in Chicago, when I was a little kid, they got pictures of me with my little cowboy hat on and my, my chaps and my little guns I had on my hips and, they were called Fanner 50s in those days. They were made by Mattel and you could put a cap and a plastic bullet in there and you could shoot your friends with them, you know? So, and today that wouldn't cut the mustard because we're lucky we'd put somebody's eye out. But I, uh, I wanted to be a cowboy all the time. I mean, I watched cowboy shows on TV growing up and, uh, and I just, I just loved it. I loved everything about it, but I liked the the relationship with those people; those people seemed cool, and and they, they were, when I was like when I was twelve, and I was hanging out at the stable with my sisters, and I got to be around some real cool cowboys, some guys that roped, uh, some of the greatest ever in the business. I met as a little kid, and and shoot, later on, I trained horses for some of those guys. So you know, it was kind of a pretty neat uh, situation that. I I love being around them. I love learning from them. I love listening to them. You know, I watched them ride. And I watched them rope. I watched them drink and fight and everything else. And it was just like it was just like the real wild west. And things have changed a lot since then with the horse training and what we do. And and I, I I'll tell you, I had Joe. I had a something happen. I was riding and roping and hanging out with the guys and all that. And I was still a little kid. And I, I met a horse trainer that did reining and um, I watched him in those days do the reining, which is quite not as near as sophisticated as today, but it was the best there was back then. And, and I, I told my mom, I said, I, I got I gotta go ride with this guy. And uh, I went and rode with him and shoot. Like I said, he ended up being kind of like my father. His name was Jim Paul. And, oh, wow. uh, and Jim, I rode with Jim from the time I was 12. It was a few off and ons because he had some problems and and he changed and he got a divorce and he moved to California and he moved back and this and that. So I was with a couple other guys, really cool, neat guys along the way too. But basically I rode with Jim from the time I was uh, 12 or 13 till the time I was uh, about 19 years old.
0: And so it'd be fair to say that that's, that gentleman is who you use kind of as your, the pattern patterned your view of horsemanship. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he was a springboard. Um, you know, I, after I, uh, I worked for Jim, I, I rode with him and then I worked for him and then I went to work for a guy named John Hoyt, who is, John was the Jim's major competitor here in Arizona and one of his best friends, you know, and John was, uh, John really taught me some things and I, I I helped him a lot because John was going through some tough times then too. So it gave me an opportunity to ride some real good horses and get some, but John was had a a lot of finesse and he had a lot of feel and um, between between those two guys, um, I I said, hey, this is for me. And when I nineteen seventy, when I became a professional, I was twenty years old, and uh, you know, I was pretty young to jump off into it like that. But it, I came, it came at just a perfect time. Two other trainers right then were had uh, had things going on in their lives that uh, where they you know were going to not train horses anymore and shoot I, I went from zero horses to about six and about three days after going into business and then pretty soon I was turning them down right left and I had such a good career as a as a youth rider that uh, I think everybody thought well you know this guy's got a shot you know so um, gosh I was just super fortunate to be at the right place at the right time and have enough um, internship with these guys, you know, um, that I had, a I had a lot of experience and I worked really hard as a young man. And, um, I always was trying to find a new avenue, um, to be a better trainer and be a better teacher and, um, you know, do more because of those guys in those days, they rode horses and showed horses and that's it. But they're, there wasn't a, a lot of finesse, you know, and so I tried to change it. I tried to make sure my saddle was always clean. My rig was always clean when I went to the show, even if it wasn't new. And I, I made sure that I was there on time and and that I had a good system of charging and, and uh, you know, how I ran my business was different and that I had a schedule for everything and just a lot of things that, you know, were kind of a nuance in those days.
0: A thousand little things done right, yeah um, so I, I I bet I bet you would attribute a lot of that hard work and a lot of those things done right to to luck. I mean, I've often heard people say, luck is where preparation and opportunity cross paths. Um, it sounds to me like you took advantage of the things that people wanted to share with you, worked really hard at it, and it paid off.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think anything I really got had to do with luck as much as it had to do with education. You know, so I was always into, you know, I had, I got a good, I didn't finish uh, uh, a four year college, but I got I graduated from a two year college, so I've got a AA degree, and i I got I did everything I needed to do. I went, I went into business and psychology and those kind of things, and I thought I thought that. I was pretty prepared to do what I did and didn't need any more. Um, I married a really smart lady. Okay. In 19 December of 1971 and I'm still married to her. So, um, and I, I think that helped my deal too. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know about luck, but I, I learned all the time. I had so many people I learned from, I couldn't even possibly list them uh Becky's father was a big influence in my life and and about helping me kind of think about my business and what I wanted to do and how I organize everything um I was pretty naturally aggressive and had a hard uh, a good work uh, ethic and I'd been around some guys that had taught me that Jim and John those two guys were workers now I mean they were the sun up to sundown guys, you know, so, and and even after. So I I had, I I had a good mentorship along the way. And, and then I never stopped learning and I still haven't stopped learning. And that's, that's such a key to it. So yeah, I think education is number one thing that probably got me going and I have maybe had a little talent for the event.
0: Well, obviously you're extraordinarily talented and, you know, talent and uh, $3 will buy you a cup of coffee, talent Uh, and hard work wins world championships. uh, Um, So, you know, I, I, I've been a big fan of yours for many, many, many years. I, I got into the, into the horse deal back in the early eighties. And, you know, you were, you were a roaring success at that time. Everybody throughout my lifetime is, has known who you were and, and that's a career I'm sure you're proud of. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, what do you think are the biggest, and I was going to ask you who the biggest influences, but as you said, that's too many to, uh, to mention, but what, what is the biggest influence on, on your horsemanship and the way you approach horses?
1: Well, you know, when you're talking about influence, obviously um, I think it was that I did everything, you know, I, I think. So if you talk about, you know, I already talked about Jim and John and, and I mean, there were hundreds of trainers that were so eager to help me because I asked them and I was, would watch them and I'd learn, but, you know, I I think the biggest thing is that, um, you know, the influence of my career came from, you know wanting to be a success but wanting to do it right because i always loved horses so i mean i i I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for but um i just just yeah i
0: i think it's important for people to understand that that you know while while it's it's definitely a necessity for a for a top level trainer to make money um you folks love horses as much as the rest of us um, you couldn't do what you're doing if you didn't, but w- w- would that be a fair statement?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm real disappointed in this horse business when I see a rough trainer get a lot of good horses and training just because he's winning. And that really gets to me. And I, I, I sure hope that the public finally wakes up to just because you're winning doesn't mean you're the best. And, and I, am real disappointed because I always learned to have a, a deep respect for the horse, and I wanted to understand um, and show the public. I, I, I dignified that by working hard, but not working my horses hard. Uh, working at horses appropriately to what they needed, and you know, try to get the most out of them but not try to teach a horse, like put a square peg into a round hole um, because it's about an ego thing or whatever like that. I I did. I, I, I have enough feel for a horse that I can tell you that horse right there is worth me training. I can say that. And that horse has come on and he's, he's meeting my expectations. He's stepping up. He hasn't leveled off. This isn't the maximum of his, you know, uh, prowess, but this horse has a chance to go on to uh, big things if you know he continues like this. Or I have a feel for the, for the horse that says, "Hey, this horse he had, he doesn't fit this. You know, he, he he doesn't have the desire. He doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the you know many of the things because it takes so many components to make a great one." Um, but I I know one thing. I've watched so many different kinds of trainers. Uh, that you can't force a horse to be great.
0: No, that, that is absolutely a fact. Um, So, I mean, knowing that, just talk to us a little bit about, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that have, you know, they said, this is my method. This is, this is how I do this. And, and personally, I don't get very caught up in, in methods and in techniques. I, I think, As long as everybody if your technique is working for you, then then that's that's awesome. But for me, um, you know, the principles that guide that guide your training methods, I think, are really the most important questions, yes, is what what are the principles that guide how you work a horse, Mr. Dunning?
1: Well, I don't know. That word principles kind of gets me. I I don't know exactly how to answer that, but I I can tell you this. Um, First of all, I am a good evaluator day after day of a horse. Um, You know, I I don't work every horse every day, but there's some horses I work every day. Um, There's some horses I work for five minutes. There's some horses I work for an hour. Uh, depending on what they need. There's some horses I work for 20 minutes and I tie them up and I work them for another 20 minutes, you know, something like that, depending on what they need. And you got to have, got to have a little horse in you, you know, to be able to do that and have a feel for it, not just go through methods. Cause every horse is a little different. So I can't be like, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'd ever say that I had a stamp on my horses. They all work the same because I worked them for what they were. I mean, I, I think one of the things I always trained in a horse was a real good stop, you know, and, um, but I can't say every horse stopped the same. So, you know, it's hard. I, I think that one thing I can tell you is that if you have a feel for a horse, um, and you can determine really how much a horse really needs to improve. And then you can kind of test it a little bit and say, okay, well, that's not working. so I'm going to change up just to take, um, and, and not always say the horse has to come to me, but sometimes I have to go to the horse. I hope that makes sense.
0: Well, that, that sounds an awful lot like a principle to me. Um, yeah. you know, really the, not the, how do I go about that? But, but what you, I mean, if, if, if I understand what you just said, there's one of your principles is that I treat every horse as an individual.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. You
0: know, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of the questions I'm, I, I like to get to is that, that, you know, Mr. Mr. Dorrance, uh, you know, put out a principle many, many years ago that, that, you know, you should make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. and And that was one of the big principles that, that drove the methods that he may have used, whether it was he told somebody to, to rope the horse's foot or really, you know, I've seen a lot of a lot of guys, you know, ruin horses because they thought that you could break a horse to ride by roping their back foot and dragging it backwards. <laughs> and I, I know you've seen that. Um, and that's not what he was talking about. That was they they looked and got all caught up in the method and forgot the principle. And that, and that was just kind of kind of what I was getting at with this question is, is, is you know, one of your principles is obviously uh, treat every horse as an individual. Give them what they need, not just try and run all the horses through your program.
1: I want to tell you something interesting too, Joe, is that, uh, you know, Tom was a pretty fair horse trainer, but a real kind of an interesting communicator. And his brother Bill Dorps was really a good horse trainer. And, but Bill didn't do all this other stuff. So people hardly even know that there's such a Bill Dorps. So, you know, isn't that interesting? So,
0: I mean, for, from my standpoint, back in, back in when I was just out of high school, I mean, I, I got addicted to cutting horses when I was in high school. And, and well, I, 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 oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's ruined my whole life. Um, yeah. but, you know, I, I went and I found the very best uh, trainers that were that were close to me. You know, back in the day, there was a a gentleman that had just done, you know, his his internship with Greg Ward. He moved his family to Idaho and hung out his shingle. And and I got to spend a couple of summers with him and his family. And then uh, I became friends with with Annie Reynolds at the Annie Reynolds at the time and and you know, whatever I could do to help Annie, and she would help me with my horses. And, um, you know, I went to to every clinic that I could possibly afford of, you know, I I went to Bill Freeman's clinic and Chubby Turner's clinic, and we couldn't get you up to Idaho. So I wasn't able to go there. But I certainly would have. And Mm.
1: I think, Hey, I've done several clinics in Idaho, but you know what? I've never done a cutting clinic up there—not once. They want cutting, or they want raining cow horse ranch stuff, whatever like that. So, yeah. But anyway, hey. So, first of all, I got to tell you, the the anybody that worked for Greg Ward or really worked a long time there and came out of that program benefited from that one of the greatest ever. And uh, so, and Annie has been a friend of mine for so long. So um, and Annie was probably one of the most successful women competitors that we've ever seen in the business. So
0: well, she's, she is, as I understand it, Annie is, has won more money in working cow horse, um, working cow horse competition than anyone. I believe she is the, uh, as the all-time earnings leader, as I understand, it. she's over um. I think she's like $2 million in, in yeah. earnings. I mean, and that's, I mean, I remember when working cow horse, if you won the Idaho snaffle bet Futurity, you know, you might've won $12,000. It takes when, a while to win the, win a million doing
1: that. You know, it's really tough Now today it's getting a little easier to win more because there's uh, so many more events, you know, back when I did it, you know, I'm going to tell you something that's interesting. I won the, first stock horse class I ever won at Del Mar, California, which was the biggest show in the West by far. Uh, I won $300. Right. So that was back in the seventies and I won the first $5,000, a big event guaranteed 5,000 to the winner. And gosh, I thought I'd won more money than I'd ever seen my life, <laughs> that, you know? So, uh, you know, things have changed. But anyway, when I, I go back to the greatness of those that have competed like Danny and, and you learning from those guys, that's the way to go. I mean, so here, here, Joe, uh, another discussion that is great is that, you know, who do you, who should you learn from? Who should you learn from? Well, you know, you should learn from somebody that's already done, you know, Don Dodge already always said someone would say something to him, and he'd say, Hey boy, he said, I'm gonna tell you something. I've already been where you want to go. Remember that. And so I think great. Uh-huh. Hey, so I already been where you want to go. And he, you know And I and I know that when I rode with Don, I wanted to be. I wanted to be, I wanted to go where Don had been. Okay. And so I picked learning from him along the way in cutting. That's where I learned from because, you know, he was one of the greatest of all times. And so I think when you find somebody that you like, that has been where you want to go, that trains like you think is the right way to train. And then you have the opportunity to be with them and you get along with them and they like you, you know, then you can really have a learning. You, you can't just pick Joe, the trainer, and there, I know some great trainers out there that are just daggum, horrible teachers They they can't tell you what they want. And there's, then I know others that are totally like into the, what they're doing. They're into their professional training. They don't want any non-professionals, amateurs, learners, teachers around them. They want to ride their horses and do that. They don't want to have to explain any of it. So you got to, it's, it, got to find you got to actually do some research you got to talk to some people and try to figure out you know who you meld with the best and you know who you can think and you know might not be your first choice but um, they might be your best choice when you find somebody that you get along with great that really is a good teacher that you know likes you
0: well that's you know you're kind of touching on something that's near and dear to my heart it's it's the the one of the most difficult things i think is i think maybe training horses is a lot easier than teaching people
1: (laughs) um you ought to get double you ought to be paid double to train people
0: well well, right because i mean you can't really i guess you could kick people in the ribs but not very often (laughs) and not 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 twice right um but but it's certainly it's certainly an important part of the business is 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 teaching, teaching people. How how do, how do you cope with, you know, balancing your your training of horses? And I'm I, I know you do a lot of teaching of people. Um, what are, what challenges does does that uh, present to you? And how do you how do you address those challenges? The 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 teaching of non pros.
1: Well, number one, I like it. You know, I mean that you gotta you gotta like it and. I get just as jacked when one of my non-pros wins or amateurs wins than, than maybe even than when I do, I guess you can't really say that because, but it's close, you know, I mean, I like winning, I like succeeding. Um, but you know, I've got some riders that I really like a lot and I like their horses and boy, when they do their thing and they win, gosh, I just, I get all jacked up. So, um, so I think number one, you got to like it. Number two, I think you got to schedule it right. Uh, you know, really it to be super successful as a non-pro cutting horse rider, let's say you really should have two horses. You should have a practice horse and show horse and you shouldn't wear that show horse out practices. You know, he right. should, he should be, you know, the trainer should be more involved than you are with that horse. You should get along with that horse, but that should be your horse to compete on. And, um, you know, if you're having difficulties, you need to go home and get on that other horse and he ought to be fairly good too, because you, 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 you can't, it, it'd be like me playing golf with a really bad set of golf clubs, like, and then uh, like a kid set or a, a left-handed set. <laughs> and, and then I got to go play, with my good clubs it doesn't cut it you got to have at least something fairly comparable so that so that that practice horse doesn't teach you bad habits too Um, and i see so much of that so there's one of the balances is that i i I try to make people understand if they have a good horse and they practice on it too much they're going to bring it down um, that I've got to have as much more, I have to have more time on it than they have. So I usually say to my people, you know, you're welcome to ride two days a week on, on that horse. Um, if they have a practice horse, want to come out, plug around, do some stuff, that's different. But Those show horses, I, I don't want them on more than two days a week. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of a Tuesday, Thursday, big lesson guy. Um, I've got, I also explain to them, like when they show a horse, um, that there's times when it needs to be shown by me. Um, and, and if the horses, you know, i sometimes will show a horse that maybe isn't really good enough for me to show, but I'm schooling it for them. Uh, so there's so many things to try to not only teach a rider, but to teach them how to be a success. Um, I do have, I have a few riders, Joe, that ride with me that don't want to win. All they want to do is have fun. And I realize that too. And I treat them totally different than I I do the others because I, I do what I call soft soap, it a little bit, I say to them, Hey, that's good enough. And on the ones that want to win, as far as I'm concerned, it's hardly ever good enough and they need to keep their nose to the grindstone.
0: So how do you deal with, um, I, I, I mean, I, I think this is for any non, non-pro non amateur, one of the hardest things there is, is that my horse is really good at home. And then when I go to show, um, you know, it's, it's, it just never feels as good in, in the show pen. What, what are some of the things you, you tell your successful amateurs and non-pros to help them to deal with that?
1: Well, there's many reasons for that, Joe. One, one is that he really wasn't that good at home. Okay. That's yeah. number one. Uh, the another, Number two is, yeah, they was pretty good at home, but when you went to the show, you were a little nervous and you didn't ride your horse's near as good. And the horse, you communicated poorly to that horse. You communicated uh, the wrong message to that horse too many times um you didn't you went to the show and you showed that horse was pretty good at home but he went to the show and he made a mistake and you didn't correct him so you let him continue to make the mistakes in the show pen just because you were trying to participate not to not to win the next time um so you look at all those factors and and then the other factor is that yeah, he was okay at home, but you're an amateur or a non-pro. And when you go to the show, you're not really, you know, riding him up to snuff. So at home, when the pressure's off, you know, it feels okay. But when you get to the show and the pressure's on, it's not. Um, So we have all those factors laid in there that says, okay, number one, you should practice at home and expect more at home. And when you go to the show, You need to expect less, but you need to ride better. You need to be relaxed and focused and prepared when you go to the show. And don't expect just because you're showing that things are going to be different than they were at home. And if the horse makes a mistake, you need to correct them there right then. And that doesn't mean you need to, you know, be rough or anything, but you need to tell the horse, hey, that's wrong. This is right. Right. Just because you're at the show doesn't mean you shouldn't correct your horse.
0: That's probably why you get in those situations where you have to show the horse now is because the horse has figured out he can get away with that. Sure. Um, And and so somebody's going to have to correct him because horses do know the difference between the show ring and the pen at home, right?
1: So, Joe, I'm either winning or I'm schooling. There's no in between. There's none of that it's it's okay if I mark a sixty eight it doesn't happen either. If I'm thinking you know I'm experienced enough to know that if I'm not winning, if I'm not up in the money, if I'm not having a good enough run, a seventy two or better kind of run, I'm picking my horse up and I'm schooling' him a little bit and getting ready for the next run.
0: I know that was that was something that I mean through my life, I've always admired Annie for um, you know Annie was either phenomenal and untouchable or she was working on her horse Yeah, and what what i saw from that was more 75 runs from her than anybody else i've ever seen
1: yeah right I, yeah it happens that way yeah when you when you're holding the horse to a you know certain level of expertise let's say you're saying hey i know at home this is what you do and you know we didn't have it here and you got to know if, if if you do i always say the punishment should match the crime if the horse makes a little mistake you should do a little correction if the horse makes a bigger mistake you should correct him so he understands so and that's uh that's what i do so we're either winning or schooling
0: that's that's this is so much fun um shift shift gears here and and if you would tell me about a horse that that you've had in your program that that really if you can think of one that touched your heart um, and and what that change meant to you.
1: I can't do that. I can't do it because there's been so many that have touched my heart, Joe, there's never been one. So, but I, I, I can tell you about one mare that I had when I was young and I saw her show and she was pretty cool. And I was able to buy her a reasonable. And I came home and I worked on her. And she felt fit me like a glove. And she was my buddy. Like I would turn her out. I could whistle to her. She'd run up and slide up, put her chin against my chest. And I just would I would I thought for sure she was going to mow me down, but she never did. And uh, she was pretty spectacular. Her name was Pink Pony. And uh, she was probably my first as a professional, my first successful stock horse. And uh, she did everything. We, we roped on her and we did the Western riding and we did the pleasure. We did the reining and the cow horse and everything. But what she was great at was the stock horse events. The, in those days, the reining out West was called stock horse. Uh, Reining was mainly uh, an event back East where they rode with split reins and stock horse was an event out West that simulated a horse that worked stock and did a reining pattern. So we showed them in, uh, full bridles, sometimes spade bits, uh, Romal reins, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was the, the difference in the two, two names. Uh, now everything's come together as under the heading of reining. So there is no such thing as stock horse anymore, but, uh, pink pony was an amazing special horse. And, uh, she meant so much to me. she was such my partner, and I learned so much from her that it was ridiculous. Uh, so one time I get ready to go to this show, and i'd been I'd won nineteen reinings in a row on her, okay? It, so she stepped up to the she was in that era when we were going to the changing that name over to reigning horse, okay? right? So, but I'd won. 19 ratings in a row owner and i go to a major event it was down here it was called the a disease show and um, all the california trainers were here and i had a chance to here i was 20 years old and i thought i'm going to kick those guys ass and i'm going to get this mare just right and i got after her, i pulled on her and i i kind of got after a little too much and i spurred her in the shoulder and I hadn't been doing that and I just wanted it for me. You know, I wanted more. I went to the show and she was daggum horrible because (laughs) I kind of lost, I, I, she lost trust in me. Okay. And, you know, she taught me that after that happened, I started going, Hey, I'm never going to try to step a horse up a day before the show, a week before the show, I'm just going to keep plugging along. And let them step up at their own right and show them for what they have. And I'm never going to try to to do it for myself because that that was so selfish there. And I kind of got after that horse, and I, I felt so bad when I was done because that mare told me, Al, if you would have left me like I was, we might have won the twentieth in a row. But the way you kind of got after me too too rough. Mm. He let me down and so i felt like i let her down pretty bad right there so i learned a huge amount from that joe
0: That uh, that's that is so important that that i mean that, that that could have made all the difference in in how you handled horses going forward and it did you know if if you would have gotten away with that and if you would have you know been able to hook one in the shoulder and make them better um, you know, imagine what life would have been like going forward.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I, I've hooked a few in the shoulder since, but they deserved it. And right. Did. There's a bit, there's a difference. That's like I said, you know, I've rode some pretty bad horses in my day. And, um, you know, the horses today are cream puffs. You know, when I was a kid, we rode some pretty bad horses. And, and that's why I'm kind of I think today, gosh, I see these guys. They're all excited about how proud they are of themselves for winning something, but they're riding these old cream puffs. Back in those days, there were a lot of those real cold blooded horses that were tough and they, some of the horses I rode bucked every day. I mean, that's, they were just tough daggum horses.
0: Well, yeah, that's the, the horses I grew up with. I mean, ranch horses in Montana, you know they start them when they're six. They buck until they're twelve.
1: There you go. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, and I, Lord knows why everybody likes those Hancock horses up there, other than the fact you can't kill them.
1: Oh my God! So I rode lots of Hancock's of driftwoods and all that stuff as a kid, and uh, they test your air.
0: So yeah, I, I I really do think that a lot of the a lot of the young guys probably don't. Well, there's no way they could appreciate. No, because horses today. Are drastically better, aren't they?
1: Yes, they sure are.
0: Um, what? Um, and I'm I'm so glad you you're, you're giving me this time. Um, this is this is like kind of like a dream come true. But oh, well, thank. You. What? What? Uh, what's something that maybe you think people might misunderstand about you?
1: Well, I don't really care. So- <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good answer. Well. I, I tell you what I've learned, Joe, is that I, like I, I'm i a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. and He's the only one I care is proud of me, you know, and so I don't I don't make a deal out of what everybody else thinks and what everybody else, how they look at me or anything like that, because, you know, my family is important to me and um, my friends are important to me. My horses, I love, but my savior is what I really count on. And so. I don't really care what anybody else says as long as I feel like I'm doing the right thing by him.
0: That's, that's, uh, that's really, that's really a balanced and peaceful way to live your life. Um, So if you could turn back the time and and maybe you would, or maybe you wouldn't, but if you could turn back the time and talk to an 18 year old Al Dunning, um, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? and i'm not i'm not asking you what would you do different but what would you what would you t- what would you tell yourself if if you if you could do that
1: oh i don't know that's a really really tough question joe i i i don't think i'd tell my i don't think i'd talk to myself and tell me any different what i've done you know I, i'm i'm you know it's funny but um i've been in some Threat life-threatening situations along my life. And um, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. I'm okay with where done. I've done. I've, I have no really regrets. Um, I got a wonderful family. That's been the coolest part. And I've got some super lifelong friends. And, um, you know, those kind of things that are in your soul, um, you never, uh, you never lose. So, you know, I, I don't think if I had to tell myself something when I was 18, I'd just say, hey, just keep on plugging, you know, because it's going to be okay. And, you know, eighteen's a, a wild time of your life, and I was pretty wild. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, but like I said, so many things ended up um, turning out right for me, and whether I had a little something to do with them or not, I don't know, but, um, you know, I... I got on the right path. I picked the right vocation. Um, I surrounded myself with wonderful people and assistants and, you know, people to help me along the way. Um, I married the right woman and um, I've got a wonderful family. So I have a core of people around me that have supported me and I've supported them. It's kind of a mutual thing. And we, uh, because of that, it's, been pretty easy to be a success but the best part is when I when I was a failure it was still okay
0: that has to be a real peaceful peaceful life to live where where you know no matter what the people around you love you and and they're there for you absolutely um so what what have um um what What's the best compliment you've ever received?
1: <laughs> well, that's tough.
0: I mean, the one, the one, I guess when I say that, was there anything anybody ever said to you that, that not took you off guard, but just meant a lot to you because, hmm. you know, it, it was somebody you, you held in high regard and they recognized something in you.
1: There was a horse trainer in California that most of us that were raised in those days uh, thought of him and still think of him as the greatest horse trainer that ever rode a horse. His name was Jimmy Williams and Jimmy trained hunters and jumpers and stock horses and everything. He was just an amazing, amazing man and trainer. And, um, I uh, go back by his barn and watch him work with a horse and that stuff. When we go to California and show and I got to know Jimmy. And uh, one day he said to me, Hey, he said, you know, that horse expensive hobby you're showing. And I said, yeah. He said, I never miss your show. And I went, are you kidding me? You know, the great Jimmy Williams wants to watch me show. And he was, uh, he said, he thought he was the greatest horse the stock horse have you ever seen so i guess that's a pretty big compliment
0: i mean that's and that's exactly what i was trying to get at is is i know there's there's things that you know when when people think about you know you know what what could anybody say to to you that you didn't already know um somebody like that when you know it's like if if buster walks up to you and says you know you're you're doing a good job kid um you know, not like that's ever happened to me, but, you know, if it did, that that would just, you know, blow a man away.
1: Um, old Buster I showed at the fraternity several years ago, and I had two really great horses. And uh, he watched me work in the practice pen, and I kept watching him. He's watching me work. Are you kidding me, you Buster Welch? You know, we've been buds ever since I met him. So, and he came up and he said, boy, I think those are the two best broke horses at the fraternity. You know, he didn't say the two best horses. He said the two best broke horses. Boy, I, you don't think the buttons popped off my shirt?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah It's like I, at that point, guy doesn't care if he wins a futurity,
1: yeah, right? I felt like I should retire right there. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be point.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, so, so with everything that you've got going on now, um, and, and I know you're busy, um, and I, I I bet you've got some big goals for this coming year too. What uh, what's going on at the Almost a Ranch and and tell me about some of your business adventures if you would.
1: <laughs> well, you know we're we're really crazy people out here uh, because I I I got some ADD or something I don't know what it is Joe but I can't I really should slow down a little bit I just haven't. This year is my 51st year training horses as a professional. And I trained several years before that as as an assistant. And I have a business uh, called AD TAC. It's a TAC business, mostly online. Um, anybody who would want to find out about some of my businesses can go on to aldunning.com and see them. Um, so that I have my TAC business. I sell mainly the the tack I use every day and at the shows. And I have a business called uh, team AD team AD is a online training course that you can ride with me anywhere in the world online um, and send me videos that I do a voiceover called video coaching and send them to you. That's like a online lesson for you. I also, another part of team AD is an accreditation part where I've got 54 skills that you can go through. And if you're a, a non-professional going through them, I'm pretty easy on you and and you can pass fairly easy. But if you want to be a professional trainer, I'm, I'm holding your feet to the fire and making you be nag-gum good because I wouldn't want my name on somebody that wasn't decently handy, you know? So uh, so I have that. I've got a business called Dunning Consulting, LLC, I consult on uh, somebody wanting to build a facility. Um, I consult on a training stable that um, you know isn't successful and wants to be. Uh, I can can consult on building facilities of all kinds. Um, um, I can consult on just about anything when it comes to ranches and horses. Um, well, I'm
0: guessing that's you know, is if I understand or if I remember correctly. The the almost a ranch is ten acres,
1: uh, thirty acres,
0: thirty acres. Yeah. Um. Uh, but what I've what I've heard is that that it's like the most perfect um, use of space. I mean, you you've got four hundred acres worth of facility um, on, on that acreage, and it works well.
1: Well, it's worked out pretty good, Joe, but I'm going to tell you something. If I would have had an unlimited budget, it would have turned out even better. Because I, <laughs> I built it by myself one piece at a time. And um, and I I did most of it, uh, you know, just a little here, a little there to do what I want to do. But it's my place and I love it. So um, anyway, that's, that's kind of some of the stuff I do besides training horses and selling horses and showing. Um, and I do clinics, too. And I used to do a lot of clinics. And then since uh, the COVID, you know, I've I canceled all the clinics and I haven't done one since. And um, so I might get back into that one of these days here soon. But I have got so many irons in the fire. Um, so do you think the online the online coaching might might
0: be a more efficient way of teaching?
1: It's really good. I mean, it's, I, I think I really help people. Um, especially if they're honest with me about what they send. Um, you know, if, if you like, you're riding with me online and, and you have to practice, practice and expect it to be perfect to send it, it doesn't work out so good. But if you'll just say, I want to work on the, you know, working the cow today, I want to work on my spins, one thing, and you send me a video of just that and you have a good, clear camera angle on it. Um, I can give you so much to do. And I've I've fixed so many people programs and their horses and benefited them and their the whole deal so much by that that it's really a wonderful program.
0: And that's Al Aldunning.com and then they can they can find that uh, online coaching there, right? Correct. Well, Mr. Dunning, I, I again I I so appreciate uh, your time today. Is, is there anything else uh you'd like to talk about?
1: Well, I guess I'd just like to finish by thanking you for letting me do this. Um, Now, I I try to take time to help everybody I possibly can with whatever they want me to do. Um, And I I sometimes do it to a fault. But um, I think giving back is really good. Staying humble is really good. I think uh, being honest is great. I think preserving your character and your integrity is most important. Um, treating horses right, but, you know, also training them. Don't, 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 you know, baby them around. I'm not a, uh, you know, we were funny. I, I was just talking to somebody the other day and I said, there's so many people out there teaching so much junk that you know, for some people like me, it's never going to work uh, like desensitizing a horse never works for a guy like me because I want those suckers so sensitive that desensitizing the ruins of my book and some of the best horses I've ever had have been hard to catch, wild to get on, spooky, and those horses ended up being trained up and had so much feel and so much give and so much try. And I've ridden a whole bunch of horses that people have, say, like done what they call desensitizing and they are numb and they don't care and they switch their tail and ring, pin their ears and it just doesn't feel right to me. So, yeah, but you, I hope everybody that listens to this realizes I'm a performance horse trainer. I'm not a trail rider. I'm not a, I'm not, I, I don't care if I go out on the trail and he spooks, I'm going to probably pet him you know, because they should spook, you know, something jumps up.
0: Such a pet peeve of mine Um, is, is
1: that. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say is that, yeah. uh, If you, if a person came to me and they said they wanted to do something other than what I do, I'd tell them to go somewhere else because I'm a competitive horse trainer of quality horses, all quarter horses, nothing else. And, and I, I've been a success doing that and sticking with those kind. And I've tell you, I've helped a lot of the other kind. I've helped a lot of people that don't have a quarter horse or don't have a quality horse that just want to learn good horsemanship. But obviously I knew where we were at. Um, But at this stage of my career, that's what I do. And um, that's what I'm going to finish up doing too, is helping as many people as I can be a success with their horse and enjoying their horse to the maximum.
0: Well, that uh, that I know you will succeed in. Um, you've got such a track record in being successful, so I have every confidence that uh, that great things are still on the horizon for for Al Dunning, um, sir. I I appreciate you taking this time so much. Uh, means everything that uh, that you make yourself available.
1: Well, thank you, Joe. You all have a great.
0: Wow. I hope our listeners enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you so much for joining me on Horse Sense 101, a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have. Please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101, and every Monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. Thank you again, Mr. Al Dunning, for sharing your time with us. I am also grateful for you, my listeners, and my wife and friends who helped make this podcast possible. God bless you all, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Up in Story County, the Mustang still runs free. Eagle soars above the pinion pines. And we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare the silver and the gold from them old mines, so let them run,
1: let them them wire ponies run, run. don't you brand them, don't you break them, don't you let the killers
0: take a single one, let them run.